Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor John Gardea. Join us as we are pointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's holy word. Well, what a joy and what a privilege it is to be here this morning to uh, proclaim the word of God to you. We have an amazing message this morning. morning. Um, these verses are really packed. So what a joy it is to be able to be up here. Um, I do want to uh, welcome uh, my dear brother uh, Samuel. He has uh, served with GMTC for many years. And just recently, Samuel married his beautiful bride. Samuel, would you please stand up and introduce your bride to us? There you go. Thank you. Whoops. Let me put this over here. There we go. Can you all hear me okay? All right. Great. Well, let's, let's get started. So in the, the past three chapters in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has been teach us, teaching us on the theology of the unity of believers. And it's very important that we understand the doctrine of the unity of Christ because you cannot apply what you don't understand. And it's my hope that you do understand this because in the next three chapters, that is chapter four, five, and six, the Apostle Paul is switching gears. So now he's giving us practical instruction on the unity of the church. So in other words, how do we apply all of this doctrine that we've learned from chapters one through three in our daily walk? We are called to live together in unity, to love one another as Christ loves the church. Yet it's so difficult for mankind not to be divided, if not entirely impossible. Throughout the history of the world, man has remained divided, leading to wars and to civil unrest. And we've even seen that recently. Now, we can expect the world to be divided due to the sinful nature of man, but what about Christians? Do Christians experience division? Now, consider there are many different denominations. Let's just talk about the Protestant denominations. We have the Adventist, we have the Baptist, we have the Congregationalist, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Pentecostals, the Presbyterians. In addition to that, we have those who are premillennial, postmillennial, we have the Preterist, we have Arminians, Calvinists, and then we have conservatives and we have liberals, and the list can go on. Now, to be fair, many of these differences between the denominations are secondary issues. But Jesus Christ specifically prayed that Christians would be one. And you can see that in John chapter 17, starting in verse 21. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to be the same. Not at all. Because we're not meant to be robotic. 
God blesses us each with different gifts. And we'll be studying about that later in this chapter in Ephesians. We all have different personalities, and you know that very well, especially if you're married. If you're married, then you know husbands and wives, we are very different from each other. Men and women are very different from each other. So what's important here is that we have to work to build up a relationship. We have to work together to reach a common ground, to talk through differences. To maintain a marriage, we have to be unified despite the differences that we might have. We have to be unified so that we can get through the many situations and the obstacles that we're gonna face in life. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're single or whether you're married, problems are going to arise. But the same is truth for the church. The major difference is, is that uh, unlike a marriage where there's only two people, in a church, now we have a whole building full of people. Not to mention that there's the rest of the Christians throughout the world. Our differences, that's not really what the problem is. Our problem is our sinful nature. Sin is at the very heart of division. And in our verses today, Paul appeals to the church. He pleads with them to be united together. And the only way to truly be united is to abide in Christ. Jesus Christ, he is our only hope. He is the only way. Now, in our verses that we're studying today, the very first word that we come to is therefore. So this indicates that Paul is now trans transitioning from doctrine now to practice. So now that we understand that we are one in Christ, we are all united together, not only are we one with each other, but we are one with the Lord. And now that we understand the mystery that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for we are one in Jesus Christ. Now we have to apply the gospel to our daily lives. And Paul reminds us in this verse that he is a prisoner of the Lord. Despite being a prisoner of the Roman Empire, Paul continues to proclaim that he is a prisoner of Christ. And it's a reminder to you and me here today that we are also prisoners of Christ. Every single person born into this world, we all inherit the sin of Adam. Romans 5.12 says, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. As children of wrath, we are hostile towards God. We shake our fist at the Lord because we thrive and we indulge in sin. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all who sin, we all deserve to pay for the wages of sin, which is death. We have committed the crime, therefore we should have to pay for it. 
It's not fair that another person has to be punished for another's crime. Of course it's not fair. But God, being full of love and having great mercy and great grace for us, paid the wages of our sin. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And even though we have all turned to our own way, the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on his perfect son. And the Lord was pleased to crush his son, putting him to grief. And Jesus Christ himself was the guilt offering. He was the unblemished lamb led to the slaughter. He took our place. He took our punishment, the punishment that you and I deserve. He is the one sacrifice, and he completely paid for the sins that we have committed. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. The plan that was set before the foundation of the world was accomplished by his one sacrifice. Jesus Christ declared many righteous before God. The debt has been paid. It is a finished work. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not only did Jesus pay for our sins, but he gives us the saving faith that we need for salvation. We have been freed from sin and purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know that you are either a slave to sin, resulting in death, or You're a slave to obedience, resulting in righteousness. It's one or the other. Every single person born into this world, you are either a prisoner of Christ or a slave to sin. One or the other. But I proclaim to you that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. What am I without Jesus? He is my only hope. And Christians must give their life to Christ. In Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Hallelujah. Being a Christian, it's not easy. The way that we live on a day-to-day basis is contrary to the ways of the world. The truth of the matter is, living as a Christian is like swimming upstream. And Paul reminds us that being a prisoner of Christ, it has its challenges. To be a prisoner of Christ, it's a total commitment. That means that even if we have to physically have to die, we'll do it for the sake of Christ. And Paul himself had many trials and tribulations, as as you know, I preached on this about a month ago or three weeks ago. And Paul, he labored more than any of the others. Paul received 39 stripes on five different occasions. Three times he was beaten with a rod. He was stoned once. He was shipwrecked three times. 
For a night and for a day, he was in the deep of the sea. I can't even imagine what that would be like. He was in jeopardy of robbers, his own countrymen, the Gentiles, and false brothers. And he spent years in prison and was abandoned by his friends. Paul had a thorn in his flesh, and a messenger of Satan tormented him. Now, the Bible does not say how Paul died, but Eusebius, an early church historian, claimed that Paul was beheaded at the order of the Roman emperor Nero. So the point is this, that Paul gave his life to Christ. He was completely dedicated to Christ. He faithfully served the Lord and he declared the gospel of Christ despite his suffering and his death. The one thing that you have to know is that you will be hated for proclaiming Christ. But if you endure to the end, you will be saved. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, Paul pleads with the Ephesians and with us, you and I, because this, this book was written for us. And he pleads that we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling to which we have been called. We are no longer our old self living as a sinner in this world. The NSAB version, I know that we've been using the, the ESV lately, but the NSAB Bible uses the word implore, which I think is very fitting in this case because Paul is begging the Ephesians to walk in a worthy manner of their calling. Can you imagine would that, what it would be like to beg somebody to walk in a manner worthy of their calling? Even somebody right here at GBF. But I have to say that that has happened to me. This was years ago, many, many years ago. Uh, and you could probably tell by what the way I look now. But many, many years ago, uh, both my brother Russell and I we trained for triathlons, and we trained very hard. One day, we decided to go to Elephant Butte to train. So we got into the water, we swam a mile, we came back, we hopped on our bikes, and we rode for about 20 or 30 miles. And we came back, getting ready to go. We're, we're kind of resting up. And Russell sits me down and he says, hey, brother. I've been praying for you. And in so many words, he told me that I need to walk in a manner worthy of my calling. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. At that moment, I was really irritated. But you know what it was? It was the sin in my heart. It was the pride that was in my heart. So in a sense, I was saying, how dare you say this to me? But you know what? In God's providence, when I got home, one of my daughters told me, Dad, why don't we go to church anymore? I miss church. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. 
that I had been sinning to do something that was my desire. It was my pride that I was sinning. It was deep in my heart. And I had to put that pride to the side. But you know what? It made me realize the importance of admonishment. Because all believers, we should plead with our brothers and our sisters in Christ to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And you know what? That's what my brother Russ did with me. He pleaded with me. And now, today, I know how much love my brother has for me. That he would have the courage to stand up and say that to me. And today, I am so thankful for that because he has shown me the greatest love, the love of Christ. Russell was walking in a Christ-like way. And we are called to do the same thing. You know, it's not easy to admonish another brother or sister, but it's what we're called to do. And on the flip side of the coin, if you're the one who's being admonished, it's time to evaluate yourself, to seek for the truth. That means that you have to set aside your pride. And just like Paul, we need to have that same love and passion for the well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ, loving others. How, that's how we bring unity to the body. Our life should be an example for all to see the love of Christ within us. We have been given a high position as one of God's chosen. The way we live our life should demonstrate our spiritual position in Christ. So here's an application question for you. As a follower of Christ, how do you conduct yourself on a day-to-day -day basis? Would the life of Christ be apparent in your daily life? And that's a question that each one of us, we have to examine ourselves and we need to pray about it and be honest about it. Now also in verse 1, Paul tells us that we have been called by the Lord. The Lord is sovereign and he is the one who calls the elect to himself. Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us and him before the foundation of the world, that we should be blameless before him. No person can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. Without the calling of the Lord, we would never seek him out. We are dead in our sin and walk according to the course of this world. That's exactly why our calling is so important. Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, has called us on to salvation. It is a heavenly calling. It is a holy calling. It is a high calling. We are not a called according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. God has given us a specific reason to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And that is to bring unity to the church. 
it will be an example for all the world to see. And in the next uh, verses, verses two and three, we are given a list of characteristics. And it's these characteristics that are essential for the unity of the church. So here it is, verses two and three. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You see, these characteristics are imperative to maintain unity. The Lord calls us to exhibit these five characteristics on a daily basis as we walk. We need to have humility. We need to have gentleness, patience, forbearing love, and unity. So let's take a look at the first word on the list, which is humility. Now, one of the best ways that I thought of to explain what humility is, is actually to explain the opposite of humility, which is pride. So let me give you a biblical example of humility and pride. In Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector, he knew that he was a wretched sinner. He couldn't even approach the temple. He stood at a distance with his head pointing to the ground because he was not worthy to look up towards heaven. He submitted to the Lord and he beat his breast asking for forgiveness. This is an attitude of humility. Whereas the Pharisee was filled with self-righteous pride. He trusted in his own work. He even boasted about himself before the Lord. I'm glad that I'm not like these other people. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. You see, the Pharisee was blinded by his pride. He didn't have the ability to recognize his sinful nature. A prideful person exalts themselves. Beware of being prideful. It's the type of sin that goes undetected and it buries itself deep into our hearts. It buries itself so deep that you can't even recognize it. And it takes spiritual surgery to get it back out. And I always cringe when I hear somebody say, have pride in yourself. And you hear it so often. I hear it at work. I hear it in the schools. I hear it in sports. You hear it on TV. You hear it on social media. It is a worldly view, and it's contrary to the way a Christian should walk. The very first sin that was ever committed was the sin of pride. 
Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Turn away from pride. It's dishonorable and it's an offense to the Lord. Be warned that pride comes in so many forms. We are prideful in the things that we own. We are prideful in the things that we, that we do, the, our accomplishments. We are prideful in our education or our status. And sadly enough, we can even be prideful in our biblical knowledge or in the accomplishments that we do right here at church. Jesus said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, of course, Jesus Christ is the best biblical example of humility. Philippians 2.5, Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider to be equal with God, something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even on a cross. So what is humility? It's the attitude of submission to the supremacy of God Almighty. A person who has humility is somebody who recognizes that they're a sinner, worthy of only God's condemnation. Only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ can we please God. Humans are not righteous. We are wretched. Therefore, submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And the next characteristic on the list is gentleness. Now, gentleness is a quality of being kind and tender, mild-mannered. It is being, having a mild spirit and self-controlled. It is having a softness in your heart towards other people. Now, humility and gentleness, they walk hand-in-hand hand with each other. You cannot be gentle without having humility. The Bible calls believers to be gentle of heart. And gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Even Jesus Christ himself described himself as gentle and lowly in heart. In Matthew 11, 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In John chapter 8, The Pharisees, they brought a woman to Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees, they wanted to stone the woman. And they were attempting to accuse Christ of going against the law of Moses. They were trying to set him up. And they asked Jesus, what do you say? And after the persistence of the Pharisees, Jesus stood up because he was drawing in the sand with his finger. 
And he said, He who was out without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. As a result, the Pharisees walked away one by one. The whole situation was diffused because of a gentle response. Jesus, he also responded gently to the adulteress. He said, woman, did no one condemn you? Now listen to how she responds. She says, no one, Lord. Her response is an indication of submission. And Jesus replied, I do not condemn you either. From now on, sin no more. Jesus always had a gentleness. It was a, a character of gentleness in his attitude when he was with both the Pharisees and the woman. And in Proverbs 15, chapter 15, verse 1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Now, I'm sure that each one of you can remember a time in your life where you responded to somebody in a harsh way. I mean, it's easy to do. We become angered for some of the easiest and for the simplest things, things that just irritate us. We become angered. But I encourage you, the next time that you feel like lashing out at somebody, pause for a moment. Take a breath. Even ask the Lord to give you a gentle heart and respond to that person in a gentle way. And I bet you that whole situation will turn out for the better. Our next characteristic is patience. Now, patience is the quality to tolerate problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or angered. Patience, uh, a patient person is somebody who can endure unfavorable conditions yet remain in control. An excellent biblical example would be Job. God allowed Satan to test Job by attacking his property, his family, and even his physical body. And even though Job suffered so much, he refused to curse God. Through this whole experience, Job had the patience to listen to his wife. And his wife told Job, curse God and die. And Job also had the patience to listen to his friends, who, whose advice was certainly not the best. Most importantly, Job had the patience to wait on the Lord for answers. And in the end, God blessed Job abundantly. And another example of patience in the Bible, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus was continually hated throughout his life. The scribes and the Pharisees were always looking for ways to falsely accuse him. They plotted to kill him. They held an illegal trial at night. They demanded from Pilate to crucify Jesus. They scourged Jesus and they mocked him. And they placed a crown of thorns on his head and then they beat him on the head with the reed on the cross. On the way to, uh, on the, way to the cross, they struck him in the face and they spit at him. They had Christ carry the cross up the hill. Then they nailed him to the cross. Yet while Christ was on the cross, he asked the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Despite his suffering, 
Jesus remained patient and loved those who hated him. We are called to love our enemies. You know what? And thank God for patience because God the Father is patient. He is willing to be long-suffering. He patiently holds back his judgment on the world, waiting for people to turn to him. So here's another application question for you. Do we as individuals and as a church, do we bear with one another in love? Are we patient with each other? Do we tolerate another's shortcomings out of the love for one another? And it's essential to maintain, this is essential to maintain the unity in our relationships with each other. Without love, it's impossible to be patient with one another. And really, patience goes hand in hand with the next characteristic that, that we've come up to, which is forbearance in love. The end of verse 2 tells us that we need to show tolerance for uh, each other in love. We must bear with one another and tolerate each, each other. And Jesus showed great tolerance for his disciples, if you think about it, because Peter was very quick to act and to speak. John and James were prideful, asking to sit at his right and his left side. And the apostles were even indignant that they had asked, made that request. Thomas did not believe that Jesus had returned. And the disciples, when they were all in the garden, they fled when Jesus Christ was arrested. Peter, the one who was at the right-hand side of Jesus throughout his ministry, he denied Jesus. Yet Jesus patiently loved his disciples, and he had great tolerance for their shortcomings. You know, and it's sad to see today that our society is not very tolerant of others. On the surface, our nation calls for people to be tolerant, to accept all for who they are. But on the contrary, many in our nation are not very tolerant, especially if you disagree with them. If you disagree, you are literally hated for having a different point of view. Because of our sinful nature, we are going to experience abuse from others. Others will sin against you. But know this, that you will also sin against others, even in the church. The underlying problem is sin. And that's exactly why we must love each other. We must show these characteristics to each other. Because love covers a multitude of sins. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we must keep from sin, from dividing us. Therefore, we have to have love. We must willingly give to others, even if we don't receive anything in return. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. True love always looks for the well-being of another person. True love is selfless 
rather than selfish. What is love? What does the Bible say about love? 1 Corinthians 13.4 Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always preserves. Love never fails. And now, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Forbearance in love is key to the unity of the church because perfect love is Christ. And the last characteristic on our list is unity. When you are humble, gentle, patience, when you bear with others in love, you have unity. It's a combination of all these characteristics. And it's not easy to have unity. Humanly speaking, unity is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And keep this in mind. You cannot create unity. You live in unredeemed flesh and you battle with sin and, and you will do so until the day that you are called by the Lord. Sin causes division. But the good news is, is that God has already created unity. We are unified in the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit is the spiritual glue that binds us all together as one. The Holy Spirit has immersed us into Christ. Truly, our unity is a work of God. Unity is exclusively in our one and only God. Ephesians, uh, let's go to um, verse 3, where it says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Each of us who are unified in the body of Christ need to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And the, the Apostle Paul, he's not referring to organizational unity. He's referring to the unity in the Spirit of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that brings unity. It is the Holy Spirit that binds every true believer together as one in Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us humility, gentleness, patience, love. The Holy Spirit is the glue that binds all believers together. Spiritual unity cannot be obtained by human means. We are not unified because of our efforts to be tolerant or intolerant. Rather, unity comes from the Spirit of God. Division that occurs between Christians, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Have you realized that? The Holy Spirit abides with you and will be in you. Jesus Christ said, I 
am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The Spirit of Christ unites all believers as one body. It is the bond of peace that unites us. Therefore, we need to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And it's amazing to know that Jesus Christ even prayed for that unity. He prayed for you and me. John 17, verse 21, Jesus said that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, unity is the primary message of the Bible. We cannot enter into the presence of the Father because of our sin. It's impossible to enter into the kingdom of heaven as a sinner. You can't do it. Our only hope is to be united in Christ because if you are united in Christ, when the Father sees you, he sees his own Son. Therefore, he sees you as perfect and holy because his, his own son is perfect and holy. So he welcomes you into his kingdom because you're pure and you're perfect. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Unity in the Lord is salvation. So how do we preserve the unity of the Spirit? Be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ is humble, he's gentle, he's patient, and he's pure love. And we find unity in Christ. And in verses four through six, Paul is going to sum up unity. So let's take a look at verses four through six, which say, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The only way to have unity is through God's perfect design. And God gives us a list of here. He gives us a list of his design for the unity. So here are the seven points, okay? One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. The beauty of these verses is that it also demonstrates the perfect unity of the Trinity. As I was preparing for this sermon, I discovered that verses four through six are very much about the Trinity. Verse four is about the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 is about Jesus Christ, and verse 6 is about the Father. And then at the end of verse 6, it says, the Father is over all and through all 
and in all, meaning that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in perfect unity. There is one God perfectly united in three persons. And then the Trinity is unified with the church, with the bride of Christ. So listen to this. There is one body filled with one Holy Spirit who gives us our one and only hope. And our one and only hope is in Jesus Christ who is our one and only Savior. And he gives us one faith. Only one faith can save you. There's one baptism and we are all united in one God. When you are truly unified, you are one. Though we may have different parts, right? All of us, the Bible says that we are all different parts, but we are of the same body. Everyone has a different function in Christ. We all have different spiritual gifts that God has given us, gifts that we are to use for his glory. We are called to use these gifts that he gave us. God gave us these gifts for a reason. Therefore, we are not to put this gift up on the shelf and never use it. That would be an insult to the Lord. We are to use our gift to serve the body, serving the church. That's what makes us worthy. And, and that's what has us work, walk in a manner worthy of our calling. The Lord is glorified through the unity of the church. And when it comes to unity, there are no races, there are no divisions, there is not a specific denomination. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and all believers, unified as one. So verse 4 as I said, this verse is about the Spirit. Unity is provided by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? To be one with God, you must have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in every believer. He is the one who unites us together. Jesus Christ said, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. A person is born physically of human parents, but is born spiritually of the Spirit. The soul of a sinner must be spiritually washed and purified. This can only happen by the Holy Spirit. Through salvation, we are a new creation we have been given a spirit-generated life as one of God's children. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Number three on the list is hope. Our only hope for salvation is Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven and earth which has been given among men by which we must be saved. In this life, there are only two paths, right? You can read about it in Matthew chapter 7. There's the broad road of destruction. And the truth of the matter is, there are many paths for the broad road of the destruction, but all of those paths come together and they ultimately lead to the same place. So it's really one path. And that road, that broad road of destruction, it offers false promises. It offers a false hope. That road sounds good. Come this way. Come on, this is the way to be saved. But it's all a lie. Because the only place that the broad road of destruction leads to, it's the road to hell. And many will follow this path. But the Bible tells us to enter through the narrow gate. And the path is not easy. It is the only path that leads to life. And there, <coughs> excuse me, there are few who find it. Jesus is the path. He is the only way. Salvation is exclusively through Christ. He's our one and only hope for eternal life. Number four on the list is one Lord. This verse is all about Jesus Christ. Okay, this is, this is his verse. The entire Bible points to the one and only hope for mankind, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And Jesus offered one sacrifice that is his body for sins for all time. At the cross, knowing that all things were accomplished, he says, it is finished. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Number five on the list, one faith. One faith in Christ. John 1, 1, it says that Jesus is the Word. And if you notice, Word is with a capital W. It is the truth, and that is exactly what we must base our lives on, because the world system is controlled by the evil one, and it is filled with lies and with deception. But God is truth. He is our anchor. He is our one and only constant in this life. Life is always changing, but the one constant that we can have is God. God does not change. He does not lie. Therefore, he is a constant. His word is the truth, and that's why you can put your faith in his word, because it is the truth. Therefore, the one and only way to have saving faith is through the gospel. That if you confess your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and you believe it in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and from the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Number six on the list is one baptism. Now, baptism here in this section, it's not referring to spiritual baptism, the meaning being immersed into through the Spirit, because uh, verse 5 is all about Jesus Christ. Verse 4 was about the Holy Spirit. So spiritual baptism is through the Holy Spirit when uh, we are placed into the body of Christ by baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 here is about Jesus Christ, and it's referring to water baptism. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are baptized as a public expression of your faith in the Lord. And Paul is concerned about the symbolism of baptism in the Ephesians church. Baptism publicly symbolizes that you have died with Christ and that you have been risen in the newness of Christ. Baptism, it is a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Baptism is a testimony of our salvation through Jesus. And number seven on the list is one God. There's just one God and Father. And the Old Testament has multiple verses about being one God. If you Google it, one God, you're going to get a whole list of Bible verses that there is one God. Um, let me give you a few for an example. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 44.24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Scripture clearly states that there is one God who exists. And the New Testament recognizes the same one and only God of the Old Testament. This is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Our one God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Jesus Christ himself affirmed the truth of the Old Testament and proclaimed the unity of God's people. In Matthew 8, 11, Jesus said, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You see, all scripture testifies of one and only God. Only one God exists. Our God promised the nations would be blessed. Both Jew and Gentile were united together as one body. All thanks to our one and only God. Our one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So in closing, I'd like to leave you with this question to think about. And, and it was wonderful that, that uh, the worship team sang the song One Faith. Because here's the question. Where is your faith? You know, on, this surface, on the surface, it appears to be a simple question. And I think most of us here at GBF would quickly answer, my faith is in the Lord. But what is actually the truth? Think about it. 
on a minute-by-minute basis, on a day-by-day basis, where do you put your faith? Because lately, we have experienced so many issues right here in this country. I have to tell you that I've never experienced living through a pandemic, and, and I, don't, I think most of you here have never experienced living through a pandemic. But during this pandemic, did you ever hope that the government would find a way to handle everything and just take care of everything? That they put an end to all of these problems that has been caused by COVID-19? Or perhaps you put your faith in, in science and you put your faith in the drug companies that they would find a vaccine to put an end to this pandemic. Or maybe even on the local level, you put your faith in the El Paso City Council that they would do something to stop the rising number of COVID cases. Or did you hope that the politicians would come up with a solution to ease all of this civil unrest that we've been seeing, that we've been experiencing right here in this country? The division has been awful to say the least. Or maybe perhaps that things at work aren't so great. Do you put your hope in the administration or in the top management that they're going to fix things at your work? That they're going to make things better? Or maybe you don't trust anybody. So you take matters into your own hand and you, take, you try to take care of things yourself. And, and I know I'm telling you these things because I myself have, have fallen to this at times where I put faith in something else. So I ask you, where is your faith? Is your faith in the leaders of this country? Is your faith in the advancement of science? Is your faith, in the, is it in the local government or in the management of where you work? Is your faith in yourself? Because the truth of the matter is, that things of this world, they don't seem to be getting any better. And if you look down the timeline of history, you're going to observe that the sinfulness of man has always caused division. Division between nations, division between countries, division between races, division between families. It all boils down to the sinfulness of man. It is a curse, and there is only one way to escape this curse. Our only hope is faith in the Lord. God is sovereign, and he is in control. And I want you really to think about this, that he is the creator of this universe. God, he put the stars and the planets in the sky. He created the gravitational force that holds all of these planetary bodies perfectly together. He created life on this earth. You can walk, you can talk, you can see, you can laugh, you can think. It's amazing. And the only reason why you have self-awareness, you have a consciousness, is because the Lord created you that way. Ask a scientist how we have consciousness, and I would bet you they can't explain it. But that's because God created us. How do you explain that? We're too small to be able to explain that miracle. 
God is amazing. If God can create all of these wonders, don't you think that he can handle the problems of this world? That's the problem with this country, is that our country has turned our back on God. And it makes me so sad. When you turn on the TV, when do you ever hear on the news that we need to pray to God? That we need to turn back to God? We're not allowed to pray in the schools. The Ten Commandments have been taken out of court. This country has abandoned God. And we are left to handle things ourselves. Where is our faith? Putting your faith in this sinful world will ultimately not end well. Without faith, how can we walk in a manner worthy of our calling? How can we have humility, gentleness, or patience? Without faith in the Lord, you can't tolerate others because you're too busy loving yourself. Placing your faith in anything other than the Lord will fail. The world will always be divided without the Lord. A sinful world cannot ever be unified, ever. Faith in the Lord is the only way to have a worthy walk. Faith in the Lord allows us to have humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing love, and unity. Being immersed in the Holy Spirit is the only way to have the bond of peace. Unity is the only way to have unity through one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, who is Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism, one God, who is over all and through all and in all. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above not on earthly things. Only then will we have a worthy walk. And God's people said, Praise the Lord that His Word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible Word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. for Connections Sunday School and from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for our worship service. We're located at 1385 Northwestern Drive on the west side of El Paso along with our hosting sister church, Mission de Gracia. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. 
We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ.